Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to another Friday episode of the Running Explained podcast. Fridays are my solo podcast days. (laughs) I am Elizabeth. I'm very excited to have you here. And today we're going to be dissecting a bad run, workout, or race. Talking about what is going on when we don't have the day that we planned for, expected to, when things just feel off or we can't hit the pace we wanted to hit. Like what, what is happening? What goes on when that happens? And the very first thing I want to preface all of this with is that everybody has bad days. Everybody has bad runs where they don't feel good where it just feels weird or awkward. Everybody has bad workouts where they can't hit their paces. Everybody has bad races. Even the great Elliot Kipchoge, one of the, if not the greatest marathoner of all time, can't win every race. (laughs) He he only wins most of them. But look, even somebody as a phenomenal and accomplished marathoner as Elliot Kipchoge is can have bad race days. And I'm sure he has bad regular run days too. So It is completely normal to have days where things just feel off or weird or a little awkward. I sometimes have days where when I start my run, it feels like I've forgotten how to run, which is weird. Like, that's so bizarre, right? I just did this yesterday. How how have I forgotten how to do that today? It's, It's just normal. We have ups and downs. We are not machines. We are constantly being influenced by everything else that's going on in our lives, by what we're eating, the other things, our relationships, our stress levels, the weather, like everything in our lives in some way affects how we do on our runs. You are going to have days that you're like, ah, this just feels weird. I don't really want to do this. I don't want to be here. And that is completely normal. And you have two options when that happens, is either to push through or to bail. And we're going to talk about when to push through and when to bail, specifically talk about run, like a normal easy day run versus a workout versus a race. But the other thing I want to mention is that having a bad day is in no way a reflection of your worth as a person, as a runner. It has no bearing on your dedication to the sport and to your training. I know the knee-jerk reaction for many people when they have a bad day, especially a workout or a race, right? A high-stakes day. When things don't go well, their reaction might be to say, well, I just suck. I'm not good enough. I am not worthy. I was foolish to even set that goal. This just shows that I can't do good things or whatever the variation of yourself, your negative self-talk is. And I, I want to let you know that those things you might think or say to yourself are not true. A bad day is just a bad day and we all have them. Your pace is not a reflection of your worth. Your race result is not a reflection of your worth. Those are completely independent values from who you are as a person 
and how much you care about this sport. Because like I said, we all have bad days. And if you're only going to define your worth based on what you were able to do on that day from a running perspective, that's a really shaky ground to put yourself worth on. Now, look, I understand we put a lot of time into this sport. We put a lot of effort into our efforts. And so it's one thing to look back after a, a bad day and say something like, I could have tried harder or when this happened, I should have done this instead and kind of analyze it that way. And we'll talk about how to do that in the, this episode. But what you shouldn't say to yourself is, I'm just not good enough or I don't have the mental strength. For a long time, I had a really terrible negative self-talk cycle where I would have a bad run or a bad workout or a bad race. And at the end of it, when things didn't go well, I would tell myself I just, I was mentally weak. I was just a mentally weak person who wasn't cut out to do hard things when the going got tough. I just bailed because I was stupid and weak and had no, like, that's a terrible thing, first of all, to think to yourself. And I guarantee you that you are not mentally weak and neither am I. (laughs) But for the longest time, I genuinely thought that. That's what I told myself. So I want you to, when you're analyzing a bad day, a bad run, a bad race, a bad workout. It's important to, as much as you can, look at it from an objective, dispassionate view. And I know, especially about those, the races and the workouts, there are a lot of emotions wrapped up in that. So I'm not saying like immediately put your technical hat on and start just analyzing. Like it's okay. It's important, actually. It's important to feel your feelings. It's important to grieve and be upset if things didn't go the way you planned or invested your time into making them that way, right? We train for months for race results. And when if they don't happen the way we want them to, like, yeah, that's a huge disappointment. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to assign your worth as a person or as a runner to what happened on race day. And it's important to look back in a very objective way about what happened because there's always an explanation. Well, there's almost always an explanation that we can kind of tease out for why things might have gone sideways. And every time we go for a run or how we have a workout or a race, we have the opportunity to learn something from that and then carry it forward. And I hate to say this, but you are going to learn far more from those bad days than you are from those good days. Because when you have a good day, it's like, cool, awesome. That was great. Let's just move on. I rock. Sweet. When you have a bad day, you think about it. You're like, what What happened there? What, what happened? And how can I prevent that from happening in the future? So we are going to talk about the ways, the explanations of when things go sideways, I'm going to dissect all of that. And we're going to start with your normal everyday runs, your everyday easy runs, your everyday run of the mill, the majority of your running, just the runs that you go on that are easy paced, normal everyday runs. Now, first off, I want to talk again about the importance of keeping those everyday easy runs in your truly easy effort zone and not running them by pace because your easy pace changes from day to day depending on a multitude of factors. So while you may have an easy pace range on each easy run that you have, you kind of never know what it's going to be like. You could start out and maybe your easy pace 
everything feels super easy. It's a great day. You know what? Awesome. And you're at the higher end of your easy pace range while keeping your effort in that nice, easy effort zone. If you're running by heart rate to guide you, your heart rate is in your nice, easy range, usually zone two or between 60 and 75% of your maximum heart rate. For the majority of runners, the vast majority of runners, this is a heart rate of 145 beats per minute or below. And somebody asked me the other day, like, why do you recommend 145? My calculations are this or that. Uh, That's just, it is literally the most applicable average one size fits many number that for many people, when you look at the ranges of heart rate data, 145, I feel, is a comfortable recommendation for the majority of runners. 145 and below. I'm not saying 145. I'm saying 145 and below. Low 140s, high 130s. And your specific heart rate zones may differ using your heart rate data. But it is a a really comfortable look. If you follow this, if you if nothing else, like if you <laughs> if you have no idea where to start. You following the 145 beats per minute or below, I feel is a comfortable recommendation because it generally fits the majority of runners and helps guide them towards their easy zone. Especially when many runners are used to running everything in the 150s, 160s, 170s. No. So for them, the blanket recommendation of 145 even if it's maybe like a couple beats off here or there, right? If like maybe their top of their easy range is technically 142 or whatever it is. Like, look, it gets them close. It gets them close enough. And that's really what I'm concerned about. So that's where that 145 beats per minute recommendation or below or below comes from. So keeping your everyday easy runs in your truly easy effort zone, using your perceived effort, a scale of on a scale of one to 10, perceived effort, goes from let's a one to a 10, one being the gentlest forward movement you can think of you for some people, you know, they can do a recovery run. They have the fitness to be able to run while staying in an effort zone of one. For some people that might be walking all the way up to 10, which is that all out sprint that you really cannot sustain for more than like a hundred meters, right? That is like your top end sprinting. And then everything else falls in between. Your easy effort should be between a one and a three on that scale. One to three effort on a scale of one to 10. Or using heart rate data and or using heart rate data because you should always pay attention to how things feel even if you're also using other metrics like heart rate. If you use a power meter, like a little foot pod that measures your output if you're on a treadmill, that displays your output in watts, all of these things, you always still at the end of the day want to pay attention to your effort. And on your easy days, you should be in your easy effort zone. Now, for many people, as they run a lot, they understand that their easy effort falls within a pace range, right? They're like, okay, on easy days, I tend to be between this pace and that pace, depending on how the day feels. That is important also to note because we can, when we have enough data accumulated, we can look for those outliers or those anomalies. But I never want you to go out and say, it's an easy run day. I'm going to run my easy pace of this precise easy pace because that may be different depending on whatever else is going on. And where I see a lot of runners go on their everyday easy runs and say, I had a bad run, it's because they set the wrong expectation for that run. They expected to go out on this easy run and maintain their goal easy pace 
they're saying, oh, this is my easy pace. And I went on this run and that pace felt hard. It was labored. I didn't enjoy it. I felt uncomfortable. Like I had a bad run. Well, no, you you didn't have a bad run. You just went on the wrong run. <laughs> so you, you told yourself this pace is supposed to feel easy. And then when you went and ran that pace on the day and it didn't feel easy, there was a mismatch between your expectation versus reality of what that pace you thought was supposed to feel like. Oh, this pace is my easy pace. This pace feels easy versus on your run. This pace does not feel easy. And there's a clash in your brain, in your perception versus the actual reality of what you expect to happen versus how it actually felt. That is a huge source of conflict within your brain. And actually, there's a whole science around perceived effort and perception. And if you haven't read Alex Hutchinson's wonderful book, Endure, which it talks all about the science of endurance, of endurance performance and you know pacing. Anyways, it's really fascinating. But one of the things that he talks about specifically is that the mismatch between how we expect a certain pace to feel and how a certain pace actually feels in the moment. And it mostly applies to race day, but it can also apply to your easy days too. Because if you're going out with the expectation that I'm going to run this pace as my easy pace, and it should feel easy all the time, no matter what. And yet when you go out on a run and it doesn't feel easy and you label that run a quote unquote bad run, you didn't have a bad run. You were just not running an actual easy run. You were not in your easy effort zone. So the most important thing, again, you can do on your easy days is really truly stay in your easy effort zone, no matter what the pace is, because that is going to change from day to day. So what what affects your pace in general? And the things we're going to talk about as they apply to having a bad everyday easy run also in their own way apply to workouts and to races. But first, we're going to start with the major contributing factor to how your easy days are influenced, and that is something called cumulative fatigue. If you have ever gone through a serious training block, or if you have done any uh, intentional increases in your weekly distance, you may have noticed if you are running your easy days in your truly easy effort zone, that your easy pace, even though you're not running by pace, you still take, you, you track it, you take note of it. You're like, I have, I'm having to slow down to stay in my easy zone. The more that I run, the slower I'm getting. What is happening? Am I getting slower? The more that I run, the less fit I'm becoming. Is this how this works? What is going on here? Why am I going backwards? You're not, you are not, you are not. This is completely normal. This is 100% normal. This is due to something called cumulative fatigue. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It is fatigue that accumulates, right? You're like, okay, well, how does that affect my running? When we ask things of our body, when we run more, we accumulate fatigue, basically. Fatigue that stays in our body. And let's back up even further. When we run, we are stressing our body and our body responds to that stress by launching into action afterwards and doing a whole bunch of repairs and rebuilding to make us better able to withstand that stress next time. That's as simple as that. You go for a run, your body is like, whoa, <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's make some changes so that's a little bit more manageable for us next time. And it does things like, if you're on an easy run day, it does things like 
increases your capillary density. It grows new blood vessels. It increases your mitochondrial density. It creates more powerhouses. It becomes more efficient at running. It becomes um, just better at dealing with the stress of running. And it happens a little bit every single day. Every single time you go for a run, you are stressing your body. And well, sometimes you're stressing your body a lot if it's a workout or a race. But every time you go for a run, you are stressing your body and then your body responds in that repair and recovery and rebuild process after your run. But that takes energy to do. The fatigue as the miles, as the kilometers, as the fatigue adds up, you are running more than you ever have before maybe. You know, you're running more, you're training for a marathon or half marathon, you have workouts. You're spending a lot of time training each week. That's a lot for your body to handle. And so in that repair and recovery, those interstitial periods between your runs, when you are recovering and rebuilding and repairing, that also takes energy. And so all of this, all the miles, all the repair and rebuilding process, this all adds up to fatigue. Now, in a really well-balanced, perfect training world, our fatigue level never exceeds our ability to perform and or to repair and recover from the things that we have done. When that becomes unbalanced, when we are training harder than we are able to repair and recover from, that is called overtraining syndrome, or it it's actually exists on a spectrum where it starts at cumulative fatigue, which is completely normal. And, and when you have cumulative fatigue, you are able to still hit your paces on your workouts. You are racing well. Your easy runs might have to be really, really easy, much slower than you have ever done before. But in general, you're performing well. You're sleeping fine. Your resting heart rate's normal. Your hard days feel hard, but you can still keep everything on easy on easy days. You're tired, but you're managing it and everything's in balance. The next kind of stop on the spectrum is a place called overreaching. And you have two pla- two things, um, two places for overreaching. One is functional overreaching, where you, it's what it sounds like, you are asking more of your body than you can recover from in the normal time frame. But when you give yourself, so it's like usually one to two weeks of like really intense training, or maybe it's an altitude camp, or maybe it's like a super a peak, a super peak week, whatever it is, uh, in each training mesocycle, which makes up the macro cycle of your training. A mesocycle just means like a training block within your larger training cycle. And then it's not like every mesocycle cycle should not contain a, a functional overreaching period. It's just an example. You can still recover from it, right? So it's a couple weeks. You need more recovery on the back end, but things go back to normal. The place where we really get into trouble is when we dip into non-functional overreaching territory and then also continue down the path into overtraining territory. And the hallmarks of non-functional overreaching and overtraining territory are when everything feels hard, you cannot go slow enough on your easy days, your heart rate is like much higher than it should be, and then you stop being able to perform well in your workouts and your races. There's some other stuff that goes on. It is There are a lot of hormonal changes involved. It's a really nasty place to be, overreaching and overtraining territory. So as long as you are able to keep your easy runs in your truly easy effort zone and still hit your paces in your workouts and you're still racing well, barring any of the other things we're going to talk about that might cause you to have a less than stellar race day, that's totally fine. It's cumulative fatigue. It is very, very normal. So just because you have to slow down on your easy run days, the more fatigue you put on your 
legs or in your body does not mean you had a bad run. It's completely normal and it's something you should, like I said, if you're expecting things to go a certain way and they go a different way, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a bad run. It just means it was different from how you expected it to go. And so again, another pitch, don't have a, don't have pace expectations on your easy days. Go out there and run it by effort. You can use perceived effort. You can use heart rate as your guide. At the end of the day, your easy run should feel easy. And as soon as you assign those pace expectations to them, that's when you can label, oh, that was a good run. That was a bad run. Uh, they could all have been great runs. Like, But just because you thought it should have gone a different way and you labeled it a bad run, that is not helpful for your training or for your psyche, for your mental state, right? You don't want to look back at your training and say, I had so many bad runs. Where if I were your coach looking at this and saying, what are you talking about? Those runs, you just, those were fine. You were just slower, you know, you had to slow down because you were experiencing cumulative fatigue. There's nothing wrong with those runs. So cumulative fatigue, number one reason why it's important to run your easy days easy by effort, not pace. So you don't assign mismatched expectations for how those runs should go. And also super important, and we'll get to talking about this on workouts, is that when you have to keep your easy days easy so that you can go hard on your hard days. Because as soon as you have too much fatigue from your easy days by running them, your easy days too hard, and that impacts your ability to really perform well on your workout day or even in your race. So not all bad easy day runs, though, are chalked up to just kind of a mismatch of expectations and cumulative fatigue. Sometimes you just have genuinely bad days, right? Sometimes you're out there and you're like, wow, I feel like total butt. This sucks. Everything feels weird. And I'm not talking about injury, okay? This is far different from I'm out there and I'm injured. I'm out there and this hurts. No, I'm talking about when there's nothing really wrong. It's just is like, yeah, bleh, bleh. <laughs> like, why? Uh, could be the weather, honestly. I mean, I, you know, I hate to be like, maybe it's the weather. It could be. Look, hot weather affects our runs, especially if we haven't acclimated to the heat yet. I did a whole episode, I think it was last week, about heat acclimatization, acclimation. I think they're both technically correct. Takes your body a while to acclimate to higher heat temperatures. But in that interim time when you're acclimating, yeah, things might feel a little nasty. Uh, Hydration or dehydration, becoming dehydrated on your runs can tank your performance and make you have a really nasty time. If you're not fueling correctly, pre-run fueling, fueling during those longer runs, um, that's a huge one. If you just have a lot of life stress going on, look, sometimes it's hard to turn our brains off. I mean, we've all been on a run where we just can't stop ruminating or obsessing or like thinking about this one thing and it's just making us so like irritable, like can't let it go. That happens. Like we are human. Things happen. And so really the the question is when those bad runs happen, in the moment, should you bail? Should you push through? And then how do we ex- explain or fit them into the context of our training in general? So the rule of thumb on a run right? If you are, if it's injured, if you are exhibiting signs of heat stroke, if your run feels like it's getting progressively worse and less comfortable for whatever reason. So first off, yes, you should always feel safe and relatively, you know, in one piece on your run. So 
if you feel like continuing to run would be putting yourself at risk for whatever it is. If you feel like it's really not safe to continue, of course, that's a massive red flag. Like pack it and go home. Beyond that, it really does fall into this weird nebulous gray area of when should I push through versus when should I just pack it up and go home? Because there is a huge value sometimes just not just stopping, just not running the rest of your run or taking unplanned rest day. Because I know a lot of the, you know, fitness stuff is like, there's no such thing as a bad run or the only bad run you have is the one you didn't do. And look, no, sometimes it actually is better for you, for your mental health, for your physical health, just to take a rest day or to cut that run short. The more that you run and the more in tune you become with your body, the more you'll know when something is just like, you know what, I'm just being a little whiny right now, but I can push through this. It's not going to be the greatest one in the world, but I'll be okay. Versus, you know what, this is, this isn't really serving me. This is something that I feel like if I continue to push through, it's just going to cause me more stress and grief on the back end. And it's only a couple miles and I'm just going to go home. Look. No few miles, no one run, no one workout, no one week of training, really. I mean, that's not a make or break for your race day. It's just really not. The whole point of training, you don't train for a race for one week. You train for months because you need that entire training time to get ready for your race. This means that the consistency and the pattern of the training that you do is far more important than really any one individual run. And yes, there may be some exceptions when it comes to those super intense kind of benchmark goal pace workouts. We're talking about closer we get to a race day for the marathon, that long run with 16 miles at goal pace. Like, yes, there are some what we will call key workouts, but there are, there's no run so essential that to do it when it would cause you more grief or uh, more stress or more than you can handle, if you would be better served by doing something different on that day or skipping a run or like, look, that sometimes is is the best option. And it's really hard sometimes to know when you should just go for your run and suck it up, right? Mental strength and all that versus it's okay to just let it go. And ideally, we would figure that before our run, right? Or maybe, you know, (laughs) halfway through rather than afterwards. Because as soon as we label something in our heads, that was bad. That was bad. Um, That affects us. Like I said, that is a mental weight that we have. So cumulative fatigue, was the weather nasty, right? Was it super windy, right? Running into the wind is really hard. Was it a really, really hilly route? And it just felt really hard and labored. So all these things are important to consider. Did you become dehydrated? Did you have a bad fueling strategy? Are you super, super stressed in the rest of your life? Stress is so impactful on your ability to sustain your training in a manageable way. All of these things will affect your everyday runs and learning to understand when like, look, that was just a a weird run, but I'm okay. I'm safe. And next time I'll choose a flatter route or next time I'll bring more water or next time I'll just understand that I have a lot of miles on my legs right now and I'll really try to keep it in my easy zone. So all of those things, your bad run, they happen. That's okay. Just move on. It's a, well, Learn something. If you throw something to learn, learn and move on. 
Now we're going to talk about when workouts don't go the way you expected. And I'm going to start with a story about a progression run that I went on when I was a very, very new runner. Uh, I think that I had, I just learned about progression runs, <laughs> what they were. And a progression run is a run where over the course of the run, you pro get progressively faster and faster. And you usually start your progression run at, in your easy effort zone. You start at an easy pace. And depending on the run and the, the length of the workout and what your goal is and what you're training for, you get progressively faster and you end up at a, in a certain effort zone or pace range at the end of the run. Now... <laughs> Uh, I, I clearly had read a training book where I understood what a progression run was, but I didn't understand quite how to execute it. And this is why when we talk about choosing a training plan and working with, you know, should I self-coach? Should I work with a coach? The most important thing for you when you're following any training plan is to know how each run should be executed. So that's why it's so like, don't just download a spreadsheet of numbers from the internet and say, well, I'll just run that number on this day and that number on this day and that number of this day. Like each run has a specific purpose and you should know what that specific purpose is. You should also know how to execute it properly. Unlike me in this, and I'm not even sure, I'm, I don't know if I was following a training plan. I must've been, um, and I'm not going to name some of the early training books that I was reading because they are actually very good books. I just had no idea how to actually apply what I had learned. I literally think I'd been running for like three or four months at this point when I decided to go on this progression run. And I remember it very distinctly. It was a seven mile progression run. And I decided in my infinite newbie wisdom that I was going to increase my pace by something like 30 seconds per mile throughout the course of this run, which I want to let you know. I mean, one, new runner. I think my, for context, my best mile pace at that time, the fastest mile I had ever run was something like a 7.45 minutes per mile. For my metric friends, it's something like a 4.50 minutes per kilometer. I decided to start, uh, I, I, I decided that my easy pace to start was 10 minutes per mile, which it was definitely not my actual easy, anywhere near my actual easy effort zone back when I was that new runner. Nowhere near. I just decided in my head, I was like, well, 10 minutes per mile seems like a slow pace. So I guess that's what my easy pace is. First of all, 10 minutes per mile is a perfectly fit. I, I routinely run a whole bunch of stuff at 10 minutes per mile today. And I am exceedingly much faster than I was back then. Anyways, I decided I was going to start at 10 minutes per mile and increase each mile by 30 seconds per mile. This is how it was supposed to go. 10 minutes per mile, 9.30, 9, 8.30, 8, 7.30. So my final, seven, like seven minutes per mile. I was supposed to increase 30 seconds per mile and end up running the final two miles faster than I had ever run a mile before in my life. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that this workout did not go as I had written down on my hand. Nowhere close. I think I got to mile three or four. I forget what it was. And I, I just, I, I was physically incapable of running, continuing that workout. It was too hard for me. 
And like way too hard for me. First of all, that is not how you do a progression run. Just I want you to those huge jumps in pace in distance like that's that's not I would never write a progression run for that in like no 30 seconds per mile increase per mile no that's that's absolutely wild that was a I had no idea what I was doing and so when I couldn't execute the workout I labeled that workout as a failure oh wow I'm I'm not good enough I'll never reach my goals all whatever you know the the negative self-talk that came in irrespective of the fact that that was an insane work. I was never going to be able to do that workout. That's crazy to ask yourself to do something you're incapable of doing and then getting upset with yourself when you can't do it. That's so twisted. That was not a bad workout. And in retrospect, like I can laugh about it now, but in the moment, I genuinely didn't understand what I had done wrong and why things didn't go the way that I planned them to. Not understanding the fact that I, I had asked myself to do the physically impossible, right? I would never ask you to go run a marathon at world record pace and then get mad at you when you couldn't do it because that is physically impossible for you and for me and for 99.9999999% of the world's population. So my whole the whole point of this story is that often where we get into trouble on our workouts is that we are not running the appropriate pace for the workout or for our fitness level. So let's set aside what I talked about before about cumulative fatigue, where if you run all your easy days too hard, it makes it hard to maintain those, you know, really hard day paces on your workouts. So let's say you're running all your easy days truly easy. When you get to your actual workout days, if you have days that include speed work, interval training, tempo runs, fart licks, whatever it is, if you, if you are doing dedicated speed work days, it is vitally important that you know what paces you're supposed to hit and why, and always making sure that those paces are within the realm of reality, (laughs) in the very least, are within the possibility. They might be very, very hard, but you are still physically capable of performing, of hitting those paces, of having those workout days. A lot of the times when we are running workouts, we like to choose our goal race paces instead of our current fitness race paces, and those are two different paces in most cases. Your goal paces are just that. The paces you have the goal to be able to run during whatever your goal race is, and that implies a certain level of increased fitness that you will be able to achieve at the end of your training block. Now, there are When you're especially training for longer races like the half marathon or the marathon, you may have workouts that specify goal race pace. Then in those workouts, you should run your goal race pace. However, for the rest of your training, workouts, whatever it is, if it says a pace like, oh, you should go and run, uh, let's say it's a lactate threshold workout and you're targeting your lactate threshold pace, or it says, oh, you should do 400 meter repeats at your 5k pace, unless it specifically says goal. First of all, you don't have a goal lactate threshold pace because your lactate threshold is uh, a physiological threshold. Like you, you don't have a goal physiological threshold, Like you only have your actual physiological threshold. So that's like a whole thing. But let's say for your 5k, you know, 400 meter repeats at 5k pace, you want to do those to your current 5k pace, your current fitness level. In all the places where it says 
X pace, let's, it's a race pace, 5k pace, 10k pace, half marathon pace, marathon pace, unless it says goal next to it, you should run at your current level of fitness. And you're thinking, well, how do I know what my current level of fitness is? If you are brand new, you might not know. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, however, the more experience you have, the more running that you do, the more races that you enter or time trials that you do, you'll actually understand like, oh, hey, my fed, my 5k pace right now is eight minutes per mile. My 10k pace is 715 a mile, whatever it is, uh, whatever the equivalent is in kilometers, um, which for a 5k is pretty, <laughs> pretty easy. Um, that's the benefit of the metric system. It makes your 5k and 10k paces these really nice round numbers. Um, <laughs> but uh, the more that you run, the more you'll understand, look, yeah, okay, this is my, my current level of 5k fitness uh, says this is my 5k pace. And that's different from my goal pace. But at the end of my 16 or 18 week training plan, I will be able to achieve that. My, my goal will become my current level of fitness. And then when you're doing workouts to goal race pace, do them to your goal race pace. So why is it important to run to your current level of fitness in the majority of your workouts? When it says 5K pace, 10K pace, if it says these paces, if we're, I'm not talking about when it says goal pace, why, why do you run to your current level of fitness rather than your goal level of fitness if your goal is to achieve that level of fitness? Hmm, good question. Because those paces are too hard for you, especially the really hot paces, those faster paces. You execute workouts correctly. I'm gonna use, again, we're gonna go back to that, 400 meter repeats at 5K pace, okay? 400 meter repeat is one lap around a standard size outdoor track, or it's roughly a quarter mile. When you do a very simple classic workout, like 400 meter repeats at 5k pace, it usually goes something like this. You warm up for 10 or 15 minutes, and then you do a series of intervals or repetitions where you run your one lap or 400 meters at your 5k pace, and then you take a rest or a recovery interval which can be either pure rest or it can be a walk or a jog as another lap. And then you repeat it for a set number of times. For newer runners, maybe that's four total repetitions. For more experienced runners, maybe that's six or that's eight. But however many that you do, the most important thing to keep in mind when you're doing a repetition interval workout is this. You want to, in each repetition, each, each fast repetition, to maintain the, as close to the same pace as you can for the entire thing, right? So you don't wanna sprint and then slow down because you can't hold on the pace throughout the rest of the 400 meter lap. Your goal should be to maintain as even and steady an, a pace. And it, so we talk about you know efforts. When you're running a workout, you generally do wanna go by your pace goal. Yes, you should pay attention to how the effort feels, but you do wanna, if, you're, if you have a pace target, run it by pace, you, your goal should be to maintain that same pace throughout the entirety of that individual repetition. And you should aim to be as consistent with your pacing for each repetition throughout the entirety of the workout. What does this mean? This means that you should not, like I said, start off each rep by sprinting too fast and then being unable to hold on to the pace and then slowly just kind of slowing down and fading until you get to the end of the lap. And then we were saying, oh, but my average pace was my goal pace. But yes, but that pacing was all over the wall, <laughs> all over the place. Off the walls, not what we're looking for. 
You want your pacing to be even and consistent throughout the entirety of the repetition. And we also want to see your pacing should not slow down over the course of the workout. So if you get to your final repetition and you just cannot hold on to the pace, and you know, if you're if you're slowly, if your pace is decreasing slowly over the course of the workout, that means one of two things is happening. One, the pace you've chosen is a little bit too hot for you to handle. Well, it could actually be one of three things. Pace you've chosen a little bit too hot to handle. Two, you're not taking the enough rest or recovery. Some workouts will have intentionally shorter periods of rest. That is, uh, that's supposed to be for some workouts. The shorter the period of rest, the harder the workout is. But if you are supposed to be taking a full lap of walking or a two to three minute rest in between, that's a lot of rest, but a two to three minute rest in between each interval, and you're not doing that, that can impact your ability to maintain the whole, the same pace during the whole workout. Uh, or you're doing too many, right? So it's a, it's either a, an intensity or a volume problem, or you're just not balancing your recovery correctly. But the most common ones are, it's either an intensity, you're running, your pace is too fast, your chosen pace is too fast, like my progression run, right? Or you do, you're doing too many for reps, too, many, too much volume for your body to handle. So when you're doing a workout and you want to see that consistent pacing throughout the entirety of each repetition, you want to see consistency of pacing throughout the entirety of all the repetitions, when things don't go the way they're supposed to, you have to look at, okay, did I choose too fast of a pace? Was I a little bit too ambitious in what I wanted to be able to sustain? Did I choose a workout that was too challenging for me? We have physiological limits, right? We can't do everything all the time. And part of running is building up your fitness over the course of years. That's what it takes. It takes years. Now, with some of this faster pace work, yes, you could probably add a, a rep here, a rep there, you know, but for your very first workouts, if you're going out and trying to execute something like you know, seven total miles of speed work when the most you've ever run in a week before is 15 miles. Like that's, you know, you have to match your workouts to your current level of fitness and capacity from both a volume and intensity perspective. So the most important thing you can do for a workout is get your paces correct. You might think that running faster than you're supposed to be running is going to be beneficial to you and it's not because you're going to burn out and not be able to finish the workout or the workout's not going to uh it's it's going to slowly decline right as like as we talked about going to slowly slide into the sea and also when you're running faster than you should be on any given workout day let's say that you are supposed to be running at your 10k pace for whatever the workout is usually the uh, faster the workout pace, the shorter the intervals, right? So for a 5K workout, we might do 400 meter intervals, 400 meter reps. For a 10K pace workout, we might do something like 800 meter intervals, right? So it's a slightly slower pace and we would do longer intervals. And these intervals are, these types of workouts are included in your plan and written by your coach to elicit very specific physiological adaptations in your body based on what your goals are in your training period. So these are just, this is one of many different types of workouts to do, but these are just really easy to explain. So that's why I'm using them as examples. If you go out and you're supposed to be running your uh, 
800 meter repeats at 10k pace, and you decide to run them at 5k pace instead, you are not doing the right workout. So even if you could, let's say you did this, you finished the workout and you did it at your 5k pace instead of your 10k pace, that doesn't mean that was the workout you were supposed to do. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a higher level of fitness than was previously assumed because you were supposed to run 10k pace for a very specific reason. Just because you can run that workout faster doesn't mean that you should because when you are in your specific pace zones, effort zones, you are asking different physiological things of your body. And when you run those things faster than you should be running them, you are not stressing the correct part of your physiology, of your makeup, of your body, of your systems that you should be. So just because you could run it or you did run it faster than you were supposed to does not mean that you get extra gold stars. It means you get fewer gold stars because you didn't do what you were supposed to be doing and you did the wrong thing. You did, you did something, but you didn't do what you were supposed to do in your workout. And your workouts are written in, a, like I said, a very specific way and they fit into the entirety of your training plan in a very specific way to get you ready for your race day, for the day that you want to have on race day. And that involves targeting specific systems during different phases of your training plan. That's why it's so important to run your paces as they're written and most often to current level of fitness, not to goal level of fitness. So if you have a workout that doesn't go well, you have to understand where, what was I supposed to be doing? What did I actually do? What was my goal pace? What was my actual pace? How does this all fit together in context of how I was supposed to be executing this workout? So those are the most kind of common reasons for if you look back and say, did I do what I was supposed to be doing on this workout? And if not, well, there you have your answer as to why it didn't go the way you planned it to, why it, right, it went sideways. Now, sometimes you just have bad workout days. Sometimes the workout is just really hard. You can't hold the goal pace. You can't finish the entirety of the workout. Uh, it can't, it's just, it's too hard. It's too hard for you to do, or it feels harder than it should. So again, that is another massive reason why it's important to run your easy days truly easy so that you can execute those workout days properly. But some days you're going to have trouble on your workout days with the weather, with your stress levels, with your hydration and your fueling, with all these things that can affect any run, especially the mental stress that we put on ourselves. I cannot tell you, I get so nervous for some workouts. Um, sometimes it, once I get going, like I get, I'm fine. Sometimes the anxiety and the fear literally butterflies in my stomach, feeling like I'm, you know, shaking or feeling like I'm about to go in for the biggest job interview of my entire life. That kind of like pit of your stomach, not of fear before just like a workout, right? And like, that's, that's a really fascinating, I was about to say a really wild response, but it is. I mean, a really fascinating response to just a workout, just a run. I'm going to go run. I'm going to run part of it fast. Right? When you think about it objectively, it's like, wow, how, why are you so nervous? That is ridiculous. Just calm down. It's going to be okay. How we think or how we feel about the things we're about to do can impact our performance in them. 
If you are anxious, nervous, you don't want to do this, you're afraid it's going to go badly, all of these things can impact how you're, you actually perform. And I'm still, again, working on this. This is not something I have like a panacea for and saying, well, I'll just do this and you won't be nervous anymore. Part of the training is learning to manage the fear, learning to manage your nerves and anxiety, learning to set out to intentionally do hard things, knowing they're going to be very hard, knowing they're going to be uncomfortable, knowing you're going to be breathing really heavy and knowing that you might fail. You have to learn how to manage your nerves and your anxiety and your emotions around that because that's, again, only going to help you on race day. Part of what we're training for is that's part of the process, managing those types of emotions. So if you are so anxious, so nervous before workouts that you then like, then you bomb them, that's, that's a reason. That's like, oh, okay, I am getting so worked up about these workouts that I then have trouble performing in the workout itself because I'm so anxious, I'm so nervous, I have so many emotions around this. So I, I, every person is different and I don't have a one size fits all, but uh, practicing mindfulness meditation can really help. Mindfulness is when you practice periods of noticing your emotions without assigning judgment to them thoughts, feelings, that sort of thing, and letting them go. So it can be very helpful to practice mindfulness. And don't, you have to practice this. You can't just like only do it before a race or a workout. You have to do it in time, in times when there's a lot less on the line, a lot less at stake. Practicing, there's a million YouTube videos and apps, and I'm sure Peloton even has a meditation about mindfulness. Practicing noticing those emotions, those thoughts, those feelings without assigning judgment. And so you notice feelings of anxiety or you notice feelings of fear and you just let them pass without getting worked up about them basically, right? So without then feeding the fire. Practicing some sort of mindfulness can be very, very helpful in the situations pre-workout, pre-race to help manage those intense feelings of fear or anxiety that then might tank the performance you're about to give. And some days you just have bad days, right? Again, cumulative fatigue can strike all of us. Not every day is going to be a winner. The most important thing to know is that one bad day happens. Look, I'm not going to be upset at anybody for having a bad day. That happens. That's okay. Look, it didn't go the way you planned. Maybe you had to bail halfway through your workout because everything just felt really nasty. Maybe you're coming down with a cold. Maybe, I don't know. It could be any for a million reasons. And I don't know what any of, you know, all of those reasons might be, but everything happens because there's a reason behind it. We just don't always necessarily know what that reason is or the confluence of many different reasons. It's completely okay. We all have bad days. One missed workout, one bailed on workout is not going to be the make or break for your race day. It's just not. It's okay. Everybody has bad days. Just move on. You know, examine what can I learn from this? Was there anything I could have done differently? Um, Did I try to do the workout even though I had gotten very little sleep in the past few days? Did I try to do the workout even though I forgot to eat my pre-run breakfast that I, you know, so like the concrete lessons of where things may have actually gone wrong and how to correct those in the future. But even if you do everything right, sometimes we just have bad days for reasons that we cannot quite understand in a way and point to that and say, oh, that's why that happened. And that's okay. Just 
It's okay. Move on. However, if you are having a pattern of bad days, if you have multiple workouts, especially more than, I mean, you know, sometimes we have bad weeks. That's okay. If you have more than one week of bad workouts, that is a sign. We talked about overreaching and overtraining territory before. That might be a sign that you have, um, are asking more of your body than you're capable of recovering from. So not just the one day, right? Everybody has a bad day. One bad workout does not mean that you're overtrained. But if you are having trouble, let's say you had trouble on your Thursday workout, you know, easy run, kept it super easy. Long run, you did it, but you know, you felt kind of fatigued. Monday, you're really tired. Tuesday, you have another workout and you bomb it like it is bad. That's a pattern. That is a pattern. So it's always important to look for the patterns, not just any single data point, not just any single run, but the patterns that um, appear in your training and what they tell us about what's really going on. One bad workout happens. Multiple bad workouts, that's a sign. Okay, so we've talked about normal everyday runs. We've talked about workouts, what happens when those go sideways. Now let's talk about races. What happens when your race day does not go the way that you planned for whatever reason? And there are many races, many reasons why your race might not be the day that you expected or planned for. And this, I know it's, we're getting up to like the highest stakes here, right? Because it's one thing to have an easy run day. That's like, nah, that felt terrible, whatever. So eh, maybe had one, uh, a workout, one workout in 18 weeks of training, mm, you know, what happens, but look, you've just spent so much time and probably money, <laughs> an investment of your time, your effort, your emotions, the emotional investment you've put into this race to have a bad day on race day can be devastating. And I'm not going to downplay that at all. I completely understand and want you to know that it is okay to be upset when your race day, if I don't say when, I wish all of you the most perfect race days ever, if your race does not go the way you planned, or you didn't achieve the goal you wanted to achieve, or you didn't have the race you wanted to have for whatever reason, I want you to know it's okay to be upset, but not forever. It's okay to be upset. And usually when we talk, um, when elite runners talk about how they get over race disappointments, they give themselves some time to be upset. They give themselves a day or a couple days to really feel their feelings, sit with their emotions, be upset, be angry, be sad, be whatever they need to be. And then they kind of say, okay, you know what? I'm done. Now it's time to move on, figure out what went wrong and learn so I can make, don't make those same mistakes or whatever was the next time. So yes, please, it's okay. I, I get it. I mean, you just, for some people, they chase goals for years and years and years. It's okay to be upset when your race doesn't go the way that you planned. However, it's vitally important that you don't wallow in those feelings and that you also, when you are ready, hopefully within a couple days, look back and say, okay, I have to be able to learn something from what happened here. What can I learn so I can avoid doing that or so I can change what I'm doing for next time. A huge place to start is we're going to talk about pacing. It is vitally important that you have a pacing strategy going into your race, even for shorter races, but especially for longer ones. We talk about the half and the full marathon. 
the longer the race, the less overall intense your pace should be, right? 5K paces are intense from the get-go, from the gun. Like you start a 5K race basically at your race pace and you try to maintain that pace throughout the entirety of the race. That's not how it works with longer races. The longer the race, you start a little bit under what your goal pace is. You work up to your goal pace in the first couple of miles or kilometers. And then you just try to maintain that same pace as your effort increases because it will increase the more that you run at that pace throughout the entirety of the race distance. By the very end, even though you're holding that same race pace, it might feel like it's the hardest pace in the world. Having a proper pacing strategy, one, having a proper goal race pace, right? We all have goals that we want to achieve, and then we have the things that we're actually capable of doing. You have to make sure that your goals are aligned with your abilities. It's important to have a couple different goals on race day. We talk about A, B, and C goals. And a good way to think about them is your A goal is if you have a phenomenal day, it's something that you are capable of doing, but you probably have about 25% chance of achieving that goal. So I don't know how many of you have ever worked retail, probably a lot of you, but when I did, you know, we had our, our daily goals and then our stretch goal, right? So like the goal that we are supposed to achieve and then the goal that if we had a great day, that was our stretch goal. Think about the same way with a race. You have, you know, your first, your A goal is your stretch goal. Like everything's perfect. The race, you know, the race of your, not like a, a race you, it's still a race you're capable of doing, right? If you're training for a four hour marathon and your stretch goal is a 350 marathon, like you should be capable of running that. Your, your goal shouldn't be, you know, oh, my goal is a four hour marathon. My stretch goal is a 315. Like what? No, first of all, if those are your goals, something is wacky here. Either your regular goal is not hard enough or your stretch goal is way too hard, right? <laughs> so make sure that your your A goal, your stretch goal, your I had a perfect day goal is actually something that is achievable within the realm of, like I said, reality uh, when we were goal setting and setting those paces. Your B goal should be the goal that you have basically a 50% chance of achieving. Like on any given day, if this were your race day, Yes, it is a is a is a goal still. Like it's going to be hard and you have to work for it, but it is is very much within the realm of possibility, right? So if you have trained for a four hour marathon and you had a couple key workouts later in your training cycle that indicated you could run a three fifty, so three fifty is your A goal. Four hours is still your like, okay, you know what, this is a super solid goal. If I get this goal, I'll be super pleased. That's a very doable, still hard and challenging yet. Yes, I'm going to go. This is my B goal. Your C goal is a goal that you should be able to do kind of like no matter what. And it doesn't have to be a time goal. Um, it can be something like I finished. I love the goal of just finishing because honestly, for me, like my goal for every race I enter is just to finish because I've had some races where I didn't finish. And that is a terrible feeling. So my C goal is always just to finish. You can have the goal where it's like something to the effect of having fun or to, you know, pre-COVID high-fiving all the kids on the route or like whatever it is, or my, it can be a process goal. You know, my process, a process goal, something like my process goal is to make sure I hydrate and fuel according to my plan. Or so there's many different ways to goal set in a way where even if you don't hit your A goal on race day, you still come away with having achieved something you set out to do. So that's why the goal setting is very important. And the pacing is very important too. Like I said, the longer the race, the you want to start 
under your goal pace, work up to your goal pace, and then hang on to that goal pace. Where a lot of runners get into trouble on the longer races, uh, especially if they are newer, is that they go out, they have like a kind of a vague goal in mind. They're like, oh, I have a goal. Let's say it's four hours. I'm going to run a four hour marathon that I need to run. Oh, it's like a 903 pace. Uh, and they start out in their marathon and they feel so good the first five to 10 miles. They run way under their goal pace. They run like 830 minutes per mile goal pace. And then I guarantee telling you, they just hopped on a train to burnout town because the reason we need to ease into our goal pace in a marathon and a half marathon too, is that the early miles are always going to feel good. You should feel good at mile five. If you don't feel good at mile five of a marathon, this really might not be the day for you. You should feel good at mile 10, right? You should feel like it's manageable. If you go out too fast in the marathon, in the half marathon, you go out faster than you should for any race, you are basically guaranteeing you're going to burn out on the back end. Racing is about pacing, consistency, and pay attention to your effort level. So like I said, you should feel good early in the race. That does not mean you should push the pace. You should stick to your pacing goal. That's why you need to have a pacing strategy. You need to know, okay, what is my pace goal? Where am I going to start? How am I going to work up to that pace? And then you need to pay attention to how your effort feels at all those uh, places along the way. If you go out and just try to say, okay, I feel amazing. I'm going to run as fast as I can. The first half of the marathon is not something you need to worry about. In the first 20 miles of the marathon, it's not something you need to worry about. You are just trying to get to the last six miles, to mile 20, to kilometer 32. Because that's the actual, what they say, where the race actually begins. Similar in a half marathon, pace is a little bit hotter. You do not want to go out too fast. You will burn out, especially because, well, for the 10K and the half marathon, usually you're running that right around near your lactate threshold. And the closer you get to your lactate threshold, lactate threshold being the physiological threshold at which lactate accumulates in your muscles and your cells faster than it can be shuttled out of your cells. When enough lactate eventually accumulates, it interferes with your cells' ability to produce ATP, energy, and then you basically run out of energy, right? Eventually, if you really keep going, you can run yourself to a stop because your cells won't be able to produce energy and contract anymore. But usually we bail far earlier than that. So the 10K and the half marathon is really important not to go out too fast because you are going to be riding that very fine line, that red line throughout the entirety of the race in order to try to get it to the finish line before that lactate accumulates and slows you down. Okay, so we talked about the importance of pacing. Pacing, pacing, pacing. Proper pacing. One proper race goals, proper pace goals, and then proper pacing strategy. If you had a bad race, you need to go back and look at what were my goals? What was my pacing? What was my pace strategy? The other thing you need to keep in mind when you're training for a race and in retrospect, you know, dissecting when the race didn't go as planned was, did you train for the race that you were running? And I'm talking about, did you train for the course, the conditions? Did you, if it's a really, really hilly course, did you train to run a hilly race? If not, there's your answer. Did you train to run in very, very warm and humid conditions? If you, it was a race you knew was going to be warm and humid. Well, if not, there you go. That would impact your race day performance. Now, there are some things we just can't train for, right? Like if the weather turns nasty, and I think 
the 2018 Boston Marathon when Desiree Linden won. That is a prime example because it was something in the mid 30s and driving rain with gusting winds. And I mean, there were some people who ran PRs on that day and that's fantastic, but those are really hard conditions. How are you supposed to train for that? You're not. That is, that is why having those ABC goals are very, very helpful. That is why it's important to learn how to be a little bit resilient and adjust during the race if you need to. That's why it's important to stick to your pacing goal, right? So you have the energy to expend over the length of the race. And then it's important to just kind of learn how to embrace the wear conditions and do the best you can on the day. Unfortunately, you cannot prepare for everything. Days like that just happen, whether that is, you know, a bad day because the, the weather was absolutely bonkers. Maybe you just had a bad day. And that's also really hard to talk about. Like sometimes we just have bad days and you look back and you look at your pacing and you look at your strategy and you look at your feeling and you look at your training and you look at your taper. And we'll talk about feeling and tapering just a second. When you look at all of the things that contribute to what goes into how you might perform on race day and you're looking at this and thinking, but I did everything right. That is one of the most heartbreaking things about running is that sometimes everything, we can do everything right. And yet on the actual day, it's just not our day for whatever reason. Sometimes we just have days like I've talked about on easy runs, on workouts and on races. Sometimes we just have days that aren't the days that we're going to perform well on. And that is devastating to not have a reason, right? Because at least if you have a reason, oh, I really effed up my pacing or, oh, wow, I really underfueled. But to look at the day and say, I did, I did everything right. What happened? I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes that just happens. Hopefully that happens a lot less than you think it happens. If we're dissecting race performances that didn't go well, you can, oh, I thought I just didn't have a good day, but it turns out I was dehydrated. Oh, well, I actually, oh, thinking about this in retrospect, I actually think I didn't pace myself correctly, whatever it is. I hope that you can Go back and re-examine some of those races that you thought maybe you just didn't do well because that's just how the day was. However, there are going to be days that you talk about just is not your day. And I, I am I am so sorry if that happens because I always want to give you answers or ha- give you a way to explain what happened. But sometimes we're just little mysteries and sometimes you're just going to have a bad day. But controlling for as many of these variables as possible will help minimize the possibility that you have one of those random bad days that's caused by something else. So beyond pacing, beyond goals, fueling and hydration. Do not mistake being under-fueled for being under-trained, especially in those longer races, especially in the marathon specifically, in the half marathon too. But You need to be fueling and hydrating during the race or else you're not going to make it to the end of the race in one piece, or at least you're not going to feel very good. Having a fueling strategy along with your pacing strategy, a hydration strategy along with your fueling and pacing strategy is vitally important. You cannot run the marathon without any food. I know because I've tried and it sucked. (laughs) You're going to need to Feel yourself properly to get to the finish line on race day. For longer races, this means taking in anywhere between 30 and 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Every, it's for one thing during long runs, it's like every hour. For races, it might be something like every 45 minutes. Some coaches even say every 30 minutes. 
Uh, and you can train your gut to take in that much carbohydrate. Part of training is learning how to take in race day fuel in your workouts, in your long runs. But you need to make sure that you have enough fuel in your body to get you to the finish line at the pace you want to be running so you have the day that you have. If you bonk or hit the wall, as is very commonly talked about in the marathon, usually around mile 18, 20, 22, that is the result of one of a couple of things that might be happening. One, you went out too fast, right? You you hit the pace too hot and you just burned out your ability to maintain that pace, which could be related to two, that you didn't have enough fuel in your body. You weren't eating, you weren't taking in enough fuel to be able to fuel the pace that you wanted to be running. And then of course, it could be a combination of both of those. You are going to have the most chance for success no matter what pace you're running if you are fueling properly on race day, 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates every 30 to 45 minutes during a race. And then water as well. Hydration, (laughs) water plus electrolytes is hydration. And the last thing we're going to talk about is your taper, your tapering. Did you actually taper for this race? A lot of people get very, very, very nervous We talk a lot about these big workouts, about the long run, about the goal pace workouts, all this stuff. But the most important thing you can do heading into race day, especially for those longer races, is making sure that you have tapered properly. What is a taper? A taper is a uh, several weeks between one to three weeks, depending on your training and your goals and a bunch of different factors. One to three weeks of reduced volume and intensity and increasingly reducing, you know, decreasing volume and intensity heading into race day. The point of the taper is to let your body take all of the cumulative fatigue that it has gathered inside over the course of your entire training plan, all the weeks and months of training you've just done, and basically give it a big old pre-race recovery period. So you're still running. It's not like you stop running. You should, your plan should have a taper in it. If your plan does not have a taper, get a different plan. Your taper is going to help facilitate a period of intentional recovery in the lead into race day so that you show up on race day totally rested, totally recovered from all the hard work you've done before. And it might feel weird. You're like, well, I, why do I do my long, longest long run two to three weeks before race day like shouldn't I do it the week before race day so I'm super fresh no it takes a couple weeks for your body to fully recover from these types of hard efforts the fitness gains are not immediate right we don't do a hard workout or a hard long run and then the next day we're just like boom that much fitter that much faster that's not how it works it takes a couple weeks for your body to really we talk about consolidating your fitness gains, consolidating the products of the work you've done on a physiological level and get you ready for race day. That's why your longest long run is weeks before race day, not the week before race day. And that's really, really, really important. If you do not taper properly, you are going into race day with residual fatigue that is going to impact your performance. I cannot stress this enough. If you do not taper appropriately, if you run too much volume, too much intensity, too close to race day, you are going to be towing the start line with more tiredness in your body, more accumulated fatigue than you should have 
and that will impact your ability to perform on race day. So I know a lot of people get nervous about tapering because they think it's going to lose fitness, right? They think they're going to somehow become detrained over that period. No, that is when the magic happens. That's when your body actually becomes its final form heading into race day. You need your taper. You need a real solid taper heading into race day so that you can actually show up on the start line. All of the work you've done in the months leading up to race day was consolidated into the strongest possible version of yourself that you can become during your taper so that on race day, you can actually go out there and go for that A goal, go for the goal that you want, your ultimate goal. I like, I cannot talk. The taper is so, 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 so important. It's so important. So you have to look at the entirety of how your training went from, you know, how much, how much did you run? How much cumulative fatigue did you have? How much did you, how did your workouts go? How long did you train for this race? Did you try to run a marathon off six weeks of training? Well, no wonder it went badly. You have to look at your race day strategy, your pacing, your goals, your fueling, your hydration, the conditions, the course, the weather. And again, how was your taper? Did you taper for your race or not? Because you can have, you know, all your pacing strategy, your fueling strategy, your, I trained for the course, I ran the hills I was supposed to do. I, you know, trained for the conditions. I made sure I was ready for hot weather. If you don't taper, and actually give your body time to like take all that stuff and get ready to internalize it, consolidate that fitness and perform on race day, being rested and recovered. That's the ultimate form of self-sabotage. That is, and it's such low hanging fruit. And yet we get so anxious about the taper that many runners will go out and not do the taper. They're supposed to run more than they should be on their taper or they run too much intensity or too much volume. And I'm here to tell you that is the number one backfiring strategy, how not to do a taper do your taper as written. Your rest, your recovery period in the lead up to your race is where all the magic, the physiological magic comes together and gets you ready to perform on race day. So I hope you learned something from this episode. Again, I, you know, I'm always about trying to find answers and explanations. And I really genuinely do mean it where I say every single run that you have is an opportunity to learn something either about yourself, about your training, whether it's a good run or a quote unquote bad run, there was always more to learn. Elite runners are still taking feedback from every single run that they go on, every single race experience they have, every single workout that they do, and still continuing to build their knowledge base and learning. Okay, what can I learn from this? How did it go? What should I have done differently? What did I do right? And I, I want to talk, I know we talked today specifically about like when things don't go well, but I also want you to understand that it's important to give yourself kudos when things go right, when you do things correctly, when you stick to your pace and strategy in your workout, when you actually go on your easy effort runs and they feel easy, when you have a race that goes really well, those are amazing things to also look back, celebrate and say, okay, what did I do right? What can I continue to do for next time that worked for me previously? So. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast from. Don't forget that I do have training plans available up on my website and to follow me on Instagram at running explained. And I will see you guys very soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget. You can always find me on Instagram at running explained or at my website, running explained.com.
Co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.